we have here, Kim, let's see. Oh, it's an indictment, all right. Why don't you read it to me? You're on bond for election, aren't you? Mr. Bundy. You got it, didn't you? Mr. Bundy. You told me that you told him that you were going to get me. You said he was going to get me, okay? You've got the indictment. It's all you're going to get. Let's read it. Let's go. Theodore Robert Bundy, you are charged, indictment, two counts burglary, two counts murder in the first degree, three counts attempted murder in the first degree. Design or intent to affect the death of said Lisa Lee. My chef. And we're back with part two of Ted Bundy. That's awesome. I love that you chose that clip. <laughs> I was hoping you'd choose something from around then. That is a... Uh... It's going to come into play here. So I wanted to choose no, something that came into play for good. sure. Like did, like we were saying off the air, off the air, like we're on the radio. Like we were saying a minute ago, like you did really good with the Hawkins girl clip because it was right pretty much where we left off on part one. Let's call her Georgian. She's not the Hawkins girl. I forgot her first name. <laughs> I know. It's okay. And he says I the Hawkins girl. I a lot of names at you. He literally says the Hawkins girl. So that's he why it's did. He did. stuck in my brain. But welcome to Evil Pudding yeah. Podcast. Evil Pudding Podcast. We're covering... Uh, the much requested Ted Bundy, part two. Part do. Part do. Do. So if you haven't listened to part one, <laughs> go ahead and listen to that. If yeah, you want to start from here, we're kind of in the middle of... It's not going to make any sense. What? Listen no, to part one, please, it will, guys. It will if uh, you know Ted Bundy, so you can kind of pick up the story anywhere almost, I think. Maybe. But I will say in part one, I was just telling you about this, and I was telling one of our daughters about this. So it's like so much detail you went into earlier in his life that I've never known about. Oh my God, thank you. That, right. That's what I wanted. And I even told you, like, I don't know these murders, like, in and out. A lot of the details that yeah. you're telling are, like, crazy to see. Because, you know, a lot of things you look at, like, you don't always go into as much detail, I should, I should say, as you yep. do. So it's, it's... Well, I have to tell you that over the past week or so, I felt way closer to Ted Bundy than I probably should have. So I'm ready <sighs> to, to emotionally dump all of this You're onto like, you. <laughs> yes. Like, get this guy out of my life. Ted, you and I need a break, okay? <laughs> Which is funny because I know what you're researching for next week because we're kind of moving to a thing mm-hmm. or a time or a event mm-hmm. rather than a person. Mm-hmm. And I know how much that is like you're invested in that right now. Yep, I am. So but you, you move from one heaviness to the next. I know. It, it's what I do, though. It's what I do, bro. It is what you do. You take it on, <laughs> you burn it out, and you move on to the next. I love it. Okay, so you ready? Jump into... Oh, are you asking me if I'm ready? I thought you were asking the listeners. I'm fucking ready. The Bunster. <laughs> I'm so invested in this right now. Okay, so where we stopped in part one was the Lake Sammamish double homicide of Janice Ott and Denise Asland, and it was his goal. The two girls that he murdered at the same time and raped at the same time made one watch. As the other one died. And then, as you were telling before, in his third person that he always admits in, Mm. not admits in, he describes things in third person. He never confessed, yeah. But he said he would would have done this as a double murder, a double rape, as an escalation. It's an escalation. And it's just getting started. I mean, oh, for lack of a better... Most of, most, most of us know. Okay. It's okay. Ted Bundy. We know how many people he went through. So, luckily for investigators around this time, um, the week prior to Janice Ott and Denise Asland, they were abducted in plain sight, broad daylight. At the beach, 
where everyone went. Everyone saw them walk off with the same man. Exactly. We were talking about that. I thought about, you know, when I went to college for like a year or two in University of Rhode Island. Right. Kingston, the beach was like 15 minutes from campus. So in May, before finals or during finals, they right. would go to the beach. Or if you were in summer school, you went down hung out on the beach during the day. Right. Kind of stuff. So it's just crazy because I, I can relate to He it. He was brazen, for sure. And he gave his real name. Well, he knew they were done. I want to touch back like, on that. He's like, I'm telling you, <clears throat> my name's Ted because you ain't going to live in season. What's your name? Ted. Ted, let's think of another name. Well, he was so confident and like we, narcissist. Yeah, like we said through the whole first part he, about his narcissism and how he's just yeah. so confident in himself. He thinks he's the smartest person there is. He's telling him Ted he because he knows in his mind they're dead. Yep. So they're not going to tell anybody my name because they're dead. We hate Ted. Luckily for investigators, however, the week prior to Janice Ott and Denise Aslan's disappearances, Ted was said to be trolling the same beach. So he had been stalking it, the beach, for a while. And probably saw them there multiple times. And that's what we had said. That's how he yep. knew she was from Pisco or whatever. Yeah. He was telling people his real name. And he was using the same stupid story about needing help with a sailboat. At his parents' house. At his parents' house. So Don't help a stranger. We said this in the first part. Don't help people, guys. Don't help. Anymore. You can't help people. That's all I was going to say was don't help people that want you to go to their parents' house and help with their sailboat. <laughs> like, let's, let's just cover all grounds and don't help people, okay? <laughs> uh, help people, but be nope. smart about it. Don't help people. So now, rumors are starting to spread about a guy named Ted who drove a beige VW bug. You know, that was the rumors milling about. Thing. After a Seattle PD questioned hundreds of beachgoers, they finally had something to go on. Finally. So it's kind of a good thing. Bug and that many people have seen him, they can probably get a sketch done. So a composite sketch hey. was Yep, it was drawn up, and guys, this sketch is hilarious. I'm We've gonna show it. I'm gonna show you the initial sketch and I'll post it on our social media on um, Evil Podcast uh, at Evil Bo- Podcast. Evil Pudding Podcast. Evil Pudding Podcast. On Instagram, yeah. it's hilarious. It's, and just so y'all didn't know, she posts pictures of every episode we put up. I do, so give us a follow. <laughs> Everyone to include true crime author Ann Roll was like, hmm, I worked with a Ted that kind of looked like that and had a VW bug. And as we talked about in part one, he were actually worked next to her in a suicide crisis hotline. Exactly. And she wrote, what was it, Stranger Beside Me? Stranger Beside Me. But about her working if, y'all were, if y'all were to look at this sketch, like, it looks nothing the like sketch him. is hilarious. It's, it's so funny. It's like a cartoon. Because you showed it to me when we were watching something about Ted, and you're like, you have to see this sketch. And you showed it to me, and it was like a nine-year-old drew it. Yeah. Of course, even though the sketch resembled Ted, Anne didn't think it was Ted. And she wouldn't for a long time. She really fought for... Or thought that he was innocent, you know, for a long time. Which I would have, too, in her place, honestly. Because they did lunch over the years together. And, and they, they were friends. And they worked at the Suicide yes. Crisis Center. Yes. He saved hundreds so he of lives. Exactly. So he sat next to her talking to people <clears> off the edge of suicide. Seattle PD, they didn't think that that was a Ted either, obviously. Well, because this- Bundy was just one of, like... 2,400 suspects on their list at the time. 2,400 Ted's on their list. With with beige VW books. Think about that. In that area? 70s. Oh, it is the 70s. That's like saying 2,000. 
400 black Ford pickup trucks Pete's with in black Texas. Ford pickup or friends with her. John's in Texas. Or the Black Ford Bank of yeah, in exactly. Texas. Yeah. Exactly. No, yeah, there's a, yeah, okay. So, another woman who suspected Ted Bundy was Lynn Banks. I would ask you if you knew that name, but I know you won't because you were not present with me when we watched the movie. <laughs> Which movie? Um, it was a good friend of Bundy's uh, girlfriend, Liz Kepfer. The, um, the Zac Efron movie? Yeah. Oh, I was with you when we watched that one. Remember her best friend? I remember. I don't remember names. Oh, okay. I didn't watch the document tapes with you. I watched the movie with you. Don't try to throw me out. Well, like her that. best friend, she actually challenged Liz on several occasions to admit. So Liz is Bundy's girlfriend, if you missed part one. She was like, you know with what? You know what, Liz? This looks a lot like Ted, which I don't know how she gathered that, but... Yeah, that was in the movie. She showed her. She sat her down. Was like she showed him the pictures. Like, yeah, this looks yeah. a lot like. And she Ted, would keep it? doing it. However, Liz was like, "No, he's not capable of that. He's a great dad." Plus, she was super busy dealing with her own issues right now. She was upset because Ted had just decided. Remember, I told you to hold on in part one mm-hmm. to how he was accepted to Utah uh, Law School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. Um, this is going to go ahead and follow through. Through this is more where I know the story from okay. because of the movie. Okay, so you're with me. So he was. Um, he wrote the University of Utah, Utah, which I guess you could just do that back then and be like, "Hey, yeah." So remember how I said I By wasn't way, I said, good. No, I want to come again. Yeah. And they're like, "Oh, come on over, fine yeah. young man." So he was getting ready to leave soon for Salt Lake City, and she feared that this was the end of their relationship. So she's like stressed out, you know. She's like, this isn't Ted. He wouldn't be going through all this if he was a serial killer. I mean, duh. See, to me, I'd be like, he is going through all this because he's a serial killer. Like, why are you Just out to- of spite, I'd be like, he's a serial killer. looking for a serial killer <laughs> in our area and all of a sudden you want to move to Utah and you look like the dude? Mm, that's like a red flag to me. Yeah, but the sketch is literally a cartoon character. But no, yeah. You know, it was like the cartoon character, like you see on like, learn how to draw a cartoon of a, <laughs> of a dude with a black hair and a black mustache. So true. Okay. So on September 8th, Hunter's walking through the brush about two miles east of Lake Sammamish National Park, found partial human remains, a lower jaw, a rib cage, and a spinal col- column. King County deputies arrived and a grid search was carried out for four whole days. More bones would turn up in that time. A second skull, five thigh bones, and tufts of human hair. The bodies had obviously been discarded there, nude, as no evidence of clothing or jewelry or other personal items were found nearby. And you know what a grid search is, right? Yep, yep. Okay. Basically, we're... Go ahead. It's for whoever doesn't know it. He's is. a cop, by the way. It's basically, I was... But it's basically where you take a huge area of land and you just basically grid it off. Yeah. And you search grid by grid, clearing each one as you go so you make sure you don't miss anything. University of Washington anthropology professor Dr. Daris Swindler was able to identify the remains using hair samples and dental charts. A few days later, it was announced that the remains of Janice Ott and Denise Asland had been found. The two girls who went missing at Lake Sammamish. Yeah. yeah. Remains indicated that the two other girls had been dumped there, but it was impossible to identify them, unfortunately. In the meantime, the man responsible was 800 miles away, getting ready to begin law classes at the University of Utah. He's methodical. Can't tell me otherwise. (laughs) 
See, and that's why we were like, well, why would he do that? That's why I'm saying, like, because he knows the heat's about to be on. Oh, yeah, for sure. Is, so why not pick up and, like, he's not one of these people that won't leave the same. <clears throat> you said that his MO changes a little bit. A little bit. Like, yeah. his, his vehicle and the, the same stories he uses doesn't change, but how he does it and where he does it change almost all the time. Mm-hmm. So it just fits to me. Where he adapts them from. He's adapting. He's adapt. That's a really he's good like, way you know to put what? it. He's I'm a, too close. He's very adaptive. I had this opportunity to go three states over. Yep. I'm going there because it's too hot here. Yep. And then he ends up moving. Okay. He does it again. So September 2nd, Bundy picked up a hitchhiker in Idaho. Idaho. Taking the long route. I didn't know this. He raped and strangled her, then dumped her body in the woods. So he's not dumping her in Taylor Mountain. He no, dumped her in the woods this time. But he's what he's doing is he's he's fixating or his mm-hmm. fix that he needs. He's getting it. And he's throwing time, people off track. He's throwing people off track because he's yeah. going west instead of south. Right. And there's going to be a body that's not the same, but you know, a similar kind of disappearance. And, and I mean, who would think Idaho investigators are not going to think that all these murders done in Washington are they are protecting the potatoes. Yeah, exactly. I'm kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> I don't know how much crime there is in Idaho. I'm sure there's plenty. But not much. <laughs> well, Boise and places like that, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. <clears throat> the next day, he would return and photograph her body before dismembering it. So now he stuck with it. Now he's keeping a trophy. Yeah. Because, because the other ones were found and he can't go back to them. That victim has unfortunately never been identified. So of his 36 known murders, there's, are you keeping count? That's 37. And then in birth, the little girl that he may have killed when he was 15, 38. He can only be charged for the ones that they can identify and know have been killed or missing. Spoiler alert. He wasn't charged for all of these. That's what I'm saying. Like you can't charge him for that one because they can't even identify who the dead person is. Yeah. So... One month later, on October 2nd, Bundy abducted 16-year-old Nancy Wilcox from Holiday, Utah. He drove to a wooded area near there where he would rape and murder her. Later, Bundy would claim that he didn't intend to kill Nancy. I didn't mean to. He accidentally suffocated her, trying to stifle her screams. Asshole. 16. 16. But after... A dozen murders? He's like, I didn't mean to kill this one. What? Jesus. No one would connect Nancy's murder to Bundy until he confessed to it years later. Why he chooses to admit to some of these murders but deny others is just beyond me. I, I don't understand it. Especially, maybe it's because it's a child. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because if he says he accidentally meant to kill her, maybe he feels bad about that one because he didn't want to kill her. Because he 16? confessed to younger children in the future. So well, that doesn't make sense to me. I was going to say, because maybe he thought, like, she was 16 and he didn't want to confess to killing a, a juvenile didn't care about raping her, obviously. But. He's just so weird. He's such an anomaly, you know? He really is. Anyways, on... Crazy. He really is. On October 18th, 17-year-old Melissa Smith, daughter of Midville Police Chief, outside of Salt Lake City, was Bundy's next victim. He's just brazen. He's just trying to challenge as much as he can. I don't think he knew who she was. I, I think feel like he is. It was a very opportunistic murder. But anyways, he abducted her while she was walking home from a friend's house. Nine days later, Melissa's body was found, 
She had been beaten and strangled after suffering a horrible sexual assault. Bundy would later admit that he visited her corpse in the days after. Well, in third person, he admitted it. And visited, we all know what that means. Yeah. Bundy, if you didn't miss part one. I visited her. You can assume what that means. He's a necrophiliac, guys. He's gross. After her murder, to apply makeup to her and wash her hair. Exact thing he was doing with everybody on Taylor Mountain. He wanted to wash her hair. He wants them to look pretty so they don't... <sighs> as grotesque as a decaying body when he sodomizes it. <coughs> Excuse me. That was a good one. Sorry. <laughs> oh, you're still kicking your ass. Keep that in. <laughs> well, I'm not saying that out. As Melissa's murder investigation was taking off, her dad was a police chief, so it was taking off. You know, everything mm-hmm. 17-year-old Laura Aim was abducted by Bundy, walking home from a diner on Halloween night. Damn, he's not even... This is three in a month. Escalation. He's just... It's escalation. Yeah. And you know what it gives him is his stalking time. Yep, it does. 27 days later, her body was found on a riverbank near the Wasatch Mountains. She was nude. Her face was so bloodied and beaten that she had to be identified by a scar on her arm. The young girl had been raped, sodomized. It was determined that the weapon used to bludgeon her was a crowbar. He liked to use crowbars, as I found. They make a good makeshift weapon. Yeah, they do. They do. Not advocating crowbars, I'm just saying. That crowbar? They're metal, they're durable, they're everywhere. That crowbar is going to come into play later, so hang on to that. In the meantime of all this happening, police in Utah were completely unaware that the Seattle PD were hunting for someone responsible for the same types of crimes, right? I mean, they didn't have the state-to-state capabilities that we have yeah, now. Yeah, I think that was before they, they did that stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get into that. I don't think the FBI was even involved back then, were they? No, uh, no, because yeah, the they were. Kinda... They were, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into what wasn't available back then that's available now. Okay, yeah. say, he was one of the we'll get there. He was one of the first ones that started doing the FBI. Absolutely. So in today's age, we have an FBI database called uh, VICAP, which is V-I-C-A-P, Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. And that's a link between states that would be quickly made in today's world. Well, today's so it's a database where we can times. plug in, this is the ki- kind of crime that happened, and it'll tie it into so another. So that's what I was talking about. Back then, they didn't right. have really anything that connected from one place yeah, to another. Yeah, so back in 1974, that didn't exist, unfortunately. However, one person's going to be able to make that link that VICAP, non-existent VICAP, couldn't make. I think we know who it is. During that time. Yeah. only one person that can make that link. Between the Washington and Utah killings, Lynn Banks, Liz Klepfer's best friend, who was, this is too much of a coincidence to not be something higher than us. Lynn Banks, Lynn Klepfer's best friend, was from Utah. So she was wow. on to Ted. She had actually made a trip back home to Utah to visit her family. And had seen all the papers, right? And she was like, oh, my God. Uh, she brought back the newspaper clippings to Liz, and she was like, bitch, are you going to do something now? Do you, do you like, what, what else do you, do you need, now? Liz? And <laughs> Liz was like, this was the dude. Yeah, exactly. 
So Liz eventually gave in. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. We knew that. She gives in. She called anonymously and she reported and she was like, you know what? Uh, I know this guy and he looks a lot like the composite sketch and he drives a beige VW bug and she was kind of frantic and nervous and it was noted that she wanted definitely to remain anonymous. But so she put in Ted's name. However, this was not the first time that Ted's name was entered into the tip line. It would be the fourth. So other people were entering his name into the tip line. So you know it's bad. Okay, so let's move on. Ted keeps killing. We know that. November 8th, 1974, 18-year-old Carol Durant. This is actually not one of his murders. She survived, spoiler alert. So have a little hope with the story. She was at the Fashion Place Mall in Murray, Utah, shopping. She was only 18. She had driven there in her brand new Camaro that her parents bought her. So she was super excited. Wanted to go out shopping. 74 Camaro. While browsing through magazines at a bookstore, she was approached by a man who asked if she had parked her car near Sears. When she said she had, he was like, can you give me your license plate number? And she gave it to him. I'm surprised she knew that because I do not know my license plate number. I'd be like, I don't know. He then was like, um, someone has been caught trying to break into your car. So are you going to come with me to the parking lot to see if anything's been stolen? Yeah, he was pretty brazen. Carol assumed he must be a security guard, right? So she went along with him, but she started to have some second thoughts. Like, he hadn't shown me any ID. And how did you know that I owned a Camaro? Right? And then ask for the license. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird. So she did have the wherewithal to be like, hey, are you going to show me some ID? This asshole actually had a fake ID that said that his name was Officer Rosalind. I know. He thought of everything. He's something else. He he is very smart. That's why he's an organized killer. He's very smart. That's what makes him so scary. So Carol opened the driver's side door and she was like, nothing's missing. But um, he was like, okay, well, can you please accompany me in my vehicle to the police substation in the mall? Because my partner's there and they have the thief in custody. Like he went all out. I mean, he, he really thought of everything. Apprehensive, she followed the man to his VW bug. Weird. <laughs> Weird car for a police officer to drive. I don't get that. She's like, nothing's missing. He's like, well, we got the thief in custody. And she's like, bro, nothing's missing. Like, what am I coming for? Like, there's literally nothing missing. I know, but the power of a badge holds a lot of power, especially back then. The power of a badge. Yeah, I guess. You show me a badge, you know. Yeah, I'll follow you. Oh, it just scares me. But do you know, do you know that it is not illegal? To if even if a cop is pulling you over, like on the road, you can say you can pull over to a police station and be like, "I was unsure of who's pulling me over." Okay, so apprehensive, she followed the man to his VW Bug. Weird car for a police officer to drive, but she got into the passenger seat that was fully installed. By the way, if you missed part one, he uh, 
he took the passenger seat out and he could reinstall it. Well, he had one future. girl that he tried to yeah. uh, snatch up, I guess. I don't know how to phrase it. And she went to go to his car with him and realized there was no, there was no passenger seat. She was like, I'm out. Later, bud. Yeah, she just, as Courtney said, she straight yeeted out of that one. Yep, exactly. She's obviously a survivor. So she freaked out when the man drove the opposite direction to the police station. And along a stretch of road across from an elementary school, he slammed on the brakes because she was freaking out. And he doesn't like that. He doesn't like it. He's losing control. He doesn't like it when you scream and throw a fit. That removes his control. Exactly. Carol, she grabbed the door handle, but before she could open it, the the man, Bundy, we know at this time, slapped on a handcuff on her wrist. Oh, you say the man because <gasps> you're taken straight from his account. Yep. Third person, bro. Yeah, she, he can give that amount of details in third person, what he thinks happened. She lashed out, but it's also confirmed from her account because she said, I know, but I'm saying, but like, how mm-hmm. would you give a third person account mm-hmm. of what you think happened? Oh, I know. He's such a to douche. such detail. Douchebag. She lashed out at him, but as he fought to slap the other cuff on her wrist, he accidentally missed, and now both the cuffs were on the same wrist. Oops. Yeah, I know. Together. Oh, God, just a bracelet. twist of fate, right? The 90s bracelet right there. Oh, it's so true. So, so emo. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so screaming, the man now threatened her with a gun. Carol was able to get the door open, and she fell out onto the pavement backwards. So he, Ted, rounded the corner holding a crowbar, and he started beating her. Carol was able to throw her hands up and block his strikes. Then this bad bitch stood up, kneed him in the groin, and started running. I was going to say, I thought she kicked him in the balls. Oh, my God. She's amazing. Fight or flight took over, and she was not. He hunched forward in pain, and he was like, okay, I need to start chasing her because she's crazy. (laughs) And um, But Carol, in the meantime, she threw herself in front of a moving vehicle. Like, I would do the same. Like, if you stop, Stop, if you stop, fine. If you don't, fine. I'm dead either way. I am not going to die like this. Yeah, I'm dead either way. One or the other. But luckily... A man named Wilbur Walsh. My people. <laughs> Wilbur slammed on the brakes. Him and his wife were driving along the road, and they let the young girl into the back seat. As soon as Carol closed the door, she was like, Motherfucker, drive! <laughs> drive! Motherfucking drive! <laughs> drive! And they sped off. So Carol was taken to the Murray Police Station to give her statement. And then APB was issued to be on the lookout for a suspect in a VW. Beige, tall, handsome, beige VW. Oh, I'm so sick of that hearing that right now. <laughs> so heard, that's one of the key things. It's one of the only things they had in the beginning. That's why you hear it so damn much. In the meantime, Bundy, he's super sexually frustrated, right? So. I couldn't hump a dead woman. So Exactly. So we know what that means. He's about to find himself a new victim, right? Mm-hmm. So, Carol's safe. Go, Carol. Love you. By the way, you can totally see her interviews on... There's a bunch of documentaries where her interviews are available. and But you can find them on YouTube. And her hair is just chef's kiss. Her hair is 
still to this day, like goals. It's on point. It's on point. Okay. She's a beautiful woman. I'm really not going to look it up to look at her. I know, I but I know, but girls, you feel me. Okay. So frustrated and defeated, Ted was determined to attack and kill. He's sexually frustrated. He's pissed. Like no one defies Ted. Well, that's what happens. It's it's, it's <clears throat> the same thing we said in part one. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing about what drove him all this. Someone took his power away. Yeah, he didn't like it. He's all about being in control, having power. And when he can't do what he wants to do, his power is gone. He must have been so frustrated that he was willing to become. Almost as brazen as ever. It's going to make him do that because he's... Yep. It's going to make him a little bit more disorganized. It's making him insane. Mm-hmm. Like, he's feeling... And impulsive. He's feeling impulsive and out of control mm-hmm. because he, he's no longer in control, so he's desperate to get it back. So, he showed up at Viewmont High School. Remember, it's night. It's like 8 p.m. at night. So, it's dark outside. The theater department was putting on a production... <laughs> Of a play called The Redhead. So the school was packed. I'm sorry. I know where this is going. And I made that sound in the background <clears throat> because our daughter literally drove home from theater. I know. At 8.30 at night. It's but again, like, they know we don't help people. I know. I know. <laughs> we have apps that we can see where they're driving to and stuff when we need to. But, but most just, importantly, they know we don't help people. But I don't remember this part of the story. Hearing yeah. that he was doing this to a girl at high school at 8 o'clock at night. Yeah. Coming home from theater, it's like right. it hits home a little bit. Of course there. it hits home. That's why we don't help people, babe. We just don't do it. Well, I'm, always, I'm usually armed when I do, so. Armed or not, we just don't help people. Right. Concealed carry license if you can get one. You help yourself. So uh, there was a high school play going on called uh, The Redhead. So the school was packed. Ted actually was ballsy enough to make his way backstage. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane to me. Backstage. We can't even go backstage when our daughter has a play, you know? Yeah, but also it's also an adult. So back then, everybody was more trusting. So Maybe. An adult, they're like, oh, it's an adult. He's like a... I feel like I would have been like man-slammed onto the ground if I would have tried to go backstage. In the, this is in the 70s. True. They True. didn't have the concerns they do now in our schools. Like back then, I could walk back to the stage and they'd be like, oh, it's an adult. Let him go. I know. Anyways, he asked the drama teacher, Gene Graham. I believe that that was his intended victim. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It, it doesn't say. But um, he asked Gene Graham if she could come with him to the parking lot to identify a car. Weird. It. I don't know if he identified himself as a cop or, like, what's going on. Anyway, Gene responded that she absolutely didn't have the time to do so. I mean, she is running this play, so duh. Like, figure it out. The play was about to begin. He didn't press the issue. He didn't want to raise suspicion at first. So 20 minutes later, after the play had begun, Jean noticed the same man watching her. So he approached her again. He was like, hey, did you have time to check out that car? And she considered going with him to check it out, but she got a funny feeling about him. She was like, I really can't, but if you can wait a few minutes, I can get my husband to give you a hand. With that, the man's whole demeanor changed. Like he was angry, and he stomped away like a little toddler. And he lost his power again. <laughs> no. Poor Ted's having a rough night. He can't keep his power Oh my these gosh. Women. They won't do his bidding. Jesus. I'm so sorry, Ted. <laughs> Anyways, Ted, he was rejected, so... 
He was later seen by witnesses lurking around the foyer. It was here, I guess in the foyer, that 17-year-old Debbie Kent went missing. Police responded quickly when Debbie's parents couldn't locate her. The murder of Melissa Smith was, you know, the, is it the chief police's daughter? Yeah. It was fresh on their mind. So they were like, oh my God, what's going on? Another child. But in the parking lot of that high school, they would find a handcuff key. They took that key back to the station and they were able to use that same key to unlock the handcuff on Carol Durant's wrist That's and get it off of her. Well, any handcuff key will open any handcuff. Well, this is different. like none of the police handcuffs key would open Carol's. Like it was stuck on her wrist this whole time. Yeah, but that doesn't make sense because one handcuff key unlocks every handcuff. Apparently not, because that was very clear mm. amongst all. Because we, I would have a universal handcuff key. It was just a handcuff key, and you could unlock any pair of handcuffs when we were using them. Maybe That's back crazy. then. Maybe back then they didn't. I don't know. Maybe, because I guess like all the police were trying, like nothing worked. So it must have been different. Back I in think. The 70s. A professional set of handcuffs was probably different from like a play handcuffs. That's true. They may have been different than like, like maybe a sex shop sold handcuff. That's true. They may have been now the same key pretty much I think I think will work on anything. But back then it may have been two different keys for Yeah. Police versus not police. So that was proof the same guy who had tried to abduct Carol now had Debbie. Um by now, partly in thanks to Bundy's girlfriend Liz for calling the tip line in Utah. The heat was on him, and it was now time for him to drive somewhere else. Exactly. <laughs> Satiate his needs for a little while. When the heat gets too hot, you change locations. I guess he was missing classes during this time. I'm not sure. I don't know how he's still in school at this time. I don't either. I don't know how he held down all this shit, but he did. Bundy made his way to Aspen, Colorado. That's a drive. That's a drive, but he's obviously targeting... Areas with young co-eds. Mm-hmm. He is. So Aspen, Colorado is definitely a popular tourist place, travel destination. This one's different. This is um, it's a different scenario, but yeah, same vibe. So on January 12th, 23-year-old Karen Campbell, a registered nurse, attended a cardiology seminar along with her fiancé. She briefly left the conference to retrieve something from her hotel room. Mm. And she was never seen again. Yep. He's not calculated anymore. He's just just snatching. By the way, her, um, I didn't feel the need to go into this, but her uh, fiance was a a doctor, a cardiologist. So, I mean, this poor girl, she had it all going for her. Regardless if he was a bartender. No, yeah, it doesn't matter. But, I mean, it's just so sad to see see these blossoming young women. He's not being organized. No, he's His not. His impulses are taken over, and he's just. I need to fuck. I need to fucking satiate. Whoever, I wherever, kill, now. Yeah. Rape or you look good. Yeah. So thanks to Bungie, Bundy, Bungie, <laughs> Bungie, Bungie. Bungie. That's his new name. Bungie. <laughs> thanks to Bungie's spooky oblique confection, confection, confession. Okay, Courtney, get it together. We know exactly what Bungie happened. Oblique. Confession. Oblique confession. We know exactly what happened to her. 
He wanted to relive his conscious, I think, relieve his conscious about the murders and later in his later years. But no. he didn't do it for the family. He did it for himself. He wasn't trying to relieve anything. He's just giving an explanation as dog crap. Like he, it's all in third person still. Escalated because yeah. he couldn't get his original plan. He got desperate. She was just a random victim. Was but he's is something else. This one. This one's something else. But he wants everyone to like him, so he's going to be like, oh, this is, this, is, this is the story to his telling. So Bundy knew that Karen was a medical professional. So upon spotting her on the way back to her hotel room, he feigned chest pains. He knew he would she would stop and help him. He knew that. Okay, so I was wrong. He was taking his time stalking this one, too. Oh, God, he's just Or maybe worst. he just saw maybe. Of the worst. Maybe she was in like a nurse's outfit or something that was associated with the hospital, so he knew. Yep. Because there's no way he had the time to stalk her after the other two. Well, if she was attending conferences, he was at the hotel. There was a conference of cardiology going on. So So maybe she's not a nurse, but she's of some sort a medical professional. He's smart enough to know she's in the medical field. And it was a cardiology convention. So he knows that he can do. Okay. He knows. So that's opportunity. And He's an opportunist. Prick. Because it almost sounded like he was being premeditated again, but he wasn't. He's just, I need to kill somebody and do other things. So Karen, of course, rushed to his aid. He asked her if she would help him back to his room. <laughs> she must have agreed because once in his room, he strangled her, sexually assaulted her, and then he snuck her out of his hotel late at night into his vehicle. About two months later, 26-year-old Julie Cunningham left her apartment to join a friend at a nearby tavern. She would never make it to the tavern. She was never seen again. Her remains were never found. But Bundy would admit to her murder years later. The following month, 25-year-old Denise Oliverson left her home after an argument with her husband. She set off on her bicycle, headed to her parents' house, but she never made it. All that was ever found of Denise was her bike and her sandals left abandoned under a bridge beneath the highway. And these murders were bam, 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 bam. A complete escalation. Well, it's because, like, you know, it's not because. All in Colorado, by the way. The more he doesn't have control, he has to... Not just take control back, but he's got to take it back, like, exponentially. So, like, oh, I couldn't kill one? I'm going to kill 47. <laughs> I'm going to kill one plus one. Yeah. I couldn't kill two, so i got to kill two plus one now. Like, he's just got to keep adding to it. It's just, it's weird, but it's, you can understand the pathology behind it when you look at just to, I mean, can you ever understand it, though? In a way. He's, he's not just... Filling the need. He's filling the need and putting more in the tank every time. Yeah. So every time he's got to do more and more and more. So Bundy's next victims, they were dispersed across variant, various states. I assume just because he wanted to avoid detection. Well, yeah. Now he's, <laughs> he's he's been in three places. He's like, you know what? He's putting his head down and he's like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do me. And then he's like, okay, I'm getting caught. Well, he's very good at changing what he does. So. Oh, yeah. So he did it in one place, and he was like, nope, got to leave. Did it a bunch of times in Utah. He was like, nope, got to leave. 
did it a bunch more times in Colorado real fast and was like, okay, now what? How about I do it a bunch more times in different places, each one, so they can't connect them. So 12-year-old, mm-hmm, 12, 12-year-old Lynette Culver was abducted from outside her junior high in Idaho on May 6th. 1975. I'm going to go ahead and just breeze through these next few murders. They're all kids. I mean, I, I know that. No, we don't want to do that with kids. No. Well, they were all kids, but they were all kids. I, they were a lot of more kids, but, but not like kid, 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 kids. Then there was an 18-year-old. 18-year-old Melanie Cooley. She went missing from a tiny town of Nederland, I believe in Utah, on April 15th. He was going state to state. So he's not no, not anymore. And was found eight days later, raped, bludgeoned, and strangled. Then there was 15-year-old Susan Curtis. She disappeared during a youth conference at Brigham Young University on Utah in Utah on um, June 28th. Shelly Robinson failed to show up for work in Golden, Colorado on July 1st. Yeah. So... Colorado, Utah, like he's just bouncing here and there. But if you follow like a map. I mean, it makes sense, but no one would ever in these states tie these murders. No, yeah. At, at the us time. today, if you follow a map, it's, just, it's Oh, yeah. Out. He has a pattern for sure, but no one back then could ever guess it. Her body was discovered in a mine shaft on August 21st. Her corpse bore all of the trademarks of the rest of Bundy's victims, as I'm sure they all did. Mm-hmm. But she was raped, strangled. Six weeks after Karen Campbell's remains were discovered, two Green River Washington Community College students were hiking near Taylor Mountain mm-hmm. when they happened upon a, a human skull. Oh, on Taylor Mountain? Yeah. On Taylor Mountain. I Get know. Out of here. Shocking. Oh, sp- those <laughs> The skull would later be determined to belong to Brenda Ball, who had been missing for almost a year by now. It was thought that Brenda had been decapitated due to no other bones being found in the immediate vicinity of the skull. Wasn't she the first one who was decapitated? Uh, was it? No. No, it wasn't Brenda Ball. She was the one so. before the I one think was it was decapitated. Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Police set out to search for other remains. And two days later, on May 3rd, another skull was found. This victim would later be identified as Susan Raincourt. Remember her? Mm -hmm. 50 feet away from the skull of Kathy uh, Kathy Parks, her skull was discovered. And a short while later, Linda Ann Healy, his first kill, uh, well, his first documented kill, her skull was discovered. It was concluded that Ted had indeed decapitated all of his victims. I know. It's bad. So by now, the suspect list of 2,400 men in King County was, like two. was only at 200. So it, it yeah, it went down. How was, oh, they don't have, it's so Ted hard to with think. with a BW bug with a sketch like that. Well, it's so hard to think because today we're like, how does Idaho, Colorado, Utah, they're never, they all don't know the same thing. But well, back in the no. 70s, I know, BW bug. Was the most popular How many call? Steves in Texas with a black Ford pickup truck no, exist with a cartoon sketch? We talked about that. Well, yeah, it's I like did. you. <laughs> you go by Steve sometimes when you're drunk. So you it's know, the most, that kind it was of one stuff. of the most popular names, one of the most popular cars. Yeah. 
and I, we, we talked about it before, and I forget that they didn't have a ton of communication. Yeah, different time. Well, they different. didn't have a ton of communication between interstate because otherwise you're looking at this. They like, didn't have the ATP. I forgot the name of that yeah. software. <laughs> you just started throwing out letters. I love you. <laughs> no, I'm not. It's the FBI's um, database. Yeah, I know. The one you put before. It's V. I can't remember what it is. But you just started throwing out random V8. V-A-C-I-F-G-H-I-J-K. Okay. So, Ted's crime spree is about to come for a 10 in. Just for now. Just for now. It'll pick back up. Don't worry, guys. Don't worry. If you don't know the story, spoiler alert, this isn't the end of the story. (laughs) So, at 2.30 a.m., Utah Highway Patrol Sergeant Bob Hayward spotted a beige VW bug driving down the quiet roads of suburban neighborhood in... uh, a suburban neighborhood in Granger, Utah. Sergeant Hayward lived in that neighborhood, and no one owned that make and model of car. I also wonder if he wasn't also on the lookout for a beige. I'm sure he was. VW. But if you're a cop that lives in the area, you know your neighborhood. He was suspicious, to say the least. So Sergeant Hayward flashed his lights, but the vehicle didn't pull over. <laughs> Ted, so stupid. A chase ensued, and the VW sped through two stop signs without slowing. Eventually, the VW... Like death sentence <laughs> in the 70s after two stop signs. <laughs> You're going down. Death penalty. Done, son. Eventually, the VW stopped. The officer asked the young man behind the wheel for his ID. He was identified as Theodore Robert Bundy. Could it all end here? But No. I wish states would have talked together back then because it would be over. Over. Suspicions of... um, This is one of my favorite parts of this story, though. uh, So, Bundy was, like, kind of suspicious. Hayward asked if he could look in his car. And Bundy was like, "Mm, I guess. Like, he was kind of apprehensive about it. But he agreed. Inside the passenger footwell... He spotted a gym bag containing a crowbar, a ski mask, rope, handcuffs, wire, and an ice pick. What you doing, Ted? <laughs> what you doing there, sir? We're going to 7-Eleven to get a slushy. Okay. Okay. Get Just checking. Get on the ground, dude. <laughs> get on the ground. Bundy was placed under arrest and charged with... <laughs> he was charged with reckless driving. And attempting to evade a law officer. Bundy was taken into the station, and the items found in his car were retained as evidence. He was informed that the DA would likely bring charges for possession of burglary tools as well. But Bundy, he wasn't too concerned. Because, you know, no one gets Bundy. The next day, Salt Lake City Detective Larry Thompson was reviewing a list of the weekends. I guess this was over the weekend. Yeah, so, we, I mean, we used to do the military. We called it the blotter. Yeah. Monday morning, you come in, and you'd see all the arrests from the weekend. You look at all the weekend's arrests, right? And he was like, Ted Bundy. That caught his eye. Okay. Well, he remembered the phone call from Liz Klepfer. She tipped off Utah police. Mm-hmm. She called him and said, do that not Ted. Her boyfriend. She even said, it's my boyfriend, Ted Bundy. Yeah, but she made so many t- attempts to remain anonymous. Mm-hmm. She just said, hey, it's <clears> Ted. <throat> he draws a Volkswagen bug. So Thompson pulled Bundy's arrest sheet to see the make and model of his car. 
It was the same type of car used in the abduction of Carol de Ranch that happened in their state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The one he's chasing. Pieces of the puzzle were starting to come together. He was also convinced that Bundy was responsible for snatching Melissa Smith and killing her. Probably his friend's daughter, right? Because his friend uh, was a police chief. Laura Aim and Debbie Kent. September 16th, 1975, detectives Jerry Thompson, Dennis Crouch, and Ira Beal set out to question Bundy's girlfriend, Liz, since it was her tip that started all of this. I don't know how they found her out, but I didn't get that part. But They need to go question her. She... Absolutely. And despite her suspicions, Liz was still in love with Ted, and she did not want to believe that he was guilty. She was like, he is not capable of this. Remember how they did in the movie? Mm-hmm. She was like, she was telling the story, but she was like, this is just, there's no way this is him. There's no there's way. No way it's him. Liz entered the interview with an immense amount of emotional stress. She was, she smoked like a full pack of cigarettes during the inter- well, yeah, interview. She was being interviewed with her husband. Yeah. Is a mass murdering serial killer. Not husband, but. Boyfriend, father, My figure baby. to his yeah. daughter. Wondering if he's this mass murdering serial killer. And she's yeah. Like, he fits every description, but I can't. I just can't believe it's him. So of course she's stressed. She told the officers that Bundy went out in the middle of the night, and she didn't know where exactly he went. He kept items in his car, like an Oriental knife and a wrench with a taped handle. He had crutches and uh, plaster of Paris in his room. Which he couldn't explain why to her. Plaster of Paris, that's like... That's what you mean cast out of. Yeah, yeah. That's what you mean cast out of. Most importantly, though, she could not account for his whereabouts on every single night that a girl went missing. Liz checked each date against her own calendar. Back then, everyone had the little pocket calendars, and she had it. In your living room or your kitchen. Yep. In your kitchen, and you wrote... She couldn't account for him. She would go on to say that Ted's sexual behavior over the past few years was disturbing. Previously, she had been he had been a gentle lover, but now he Got wanted yeah he wanted like bondage and rough sex, and that just wasn't the Ted that she knew and fell in love with. You know, on one occasion he choked her during intercourse until she nearly passed out. So. It's not a red flag. Yeah. I mean, she went through some shit. However, even with Liz's incriminating statements, the case was still purely circumstantial. So two survivors would be called on to see if uh, they could ID Ted. Carol DeRanche and Jean Graham, the Viewmont High School teacher, remember? Mm -hmm. I think that was his initial target. Yeah, she was. Yeah. They had both encountered Bundy up close and personal. They were brought in and they were shown an array of photos. Jean immediately picked out Bundy, but Carol, she wavered. Surprisingly, right? She didn't have as much like face to face, one on one. Yeah. Like normal interaction. Normal. This was like as soon as the stuff started when she saw him. Yeah. She pointed to Bundy's photo and she said that she thought this was the one, but she couldn't be sure. But from their stories, like I said, she was she's looking at him from like as soon as I'm attacked, I'm trying to ID this guy. Yeah, exactly. Like 
James interacted with this dude one on one, one on one, face to face for a long time, and didn't do anything else with him. Twice yeah. got a bad vibe from the dude and was like, "Yeah, my husband can help you," and he yeah. ran off. Yeah, exactly. So when shown a picture of Bundy's VW Bug, uh, Carol was even lesser. She's only eighteen, and she was also <laughs> in the process of being attacked. You yes, remember some of those details. No, to you don't save your own life. You really don't. She's traumatized. Well, she's trying to save her <clears> life. She's not like focusing on the details. And then traumatized on top of that. <clears throat> so this was a blow to the investigation. However, police still had the option of putting Bundy into a lineup. All three women, all three women, immediately picked out Bundy. They were like, that's him, for sure. And fun fact, and this isn't in my notes, but I just remember it from my readings. They couldn't find many guys in lockup to like put in lineup that looked a lot like Bundy. So they used officers. Because they had a lot of officers that kind of well, fit the bill. He had a mustache. He didn't have a mustache back then. He didn't have a mustache then? Mm-mm. I thought he had a mustache for some reason. Mm-mm. I was going to say a lot of cops probably had mustaches, but whatever reason, the guys clean in the jail were, yeah, nice were clean cut. They weren't mm-hmm. as clean cut. They weren't as well taken care of. They weren't the hippies of the time, I guess. <laughs> <clears throat> so after that, Bundy was arrested. He was arrested and he was charged with attempted kidnapping and aggravated assault. Unable to afford bail. He was sent to county lockup to wait trial. This However, is, this was the part where I was saying this is my favorite part. Mm-hmm. This was this was the right point. here. Yeah. However, friends and family raised enough money, and uh, he was let out on bond. Why is this your favorite part? Oh, okay. I I kind of see. Yeah, not that part, but what's about to happen? I think it's a couple parts next, but maybe I'm wrong. Is it a library? Yeah. Okay, okay. I just I just wanted to... Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> no, yeah, spoiler alert, library. That's one of my favorite parts. And you'll see why. Okay. Like, <clears throat> so, Ted's kidnapping trial was underway on February 23rd, 1976 in Salt Lake City. He was confident and cocky. You know, he was Ted. <laughs> Typical Ted. He's smarter than everybody else. He really acted like this was all a joke. Like... <laughs> And, and you can totally tell that, too, by all photos taken back then and all interviews done back then. Yeah, like the interview you played in the beginning of the episode. Yeah, that's later on, but yeah. I mean, he but kept I mean, he, the he, same. He did the same. That's how he, he dealt kept with the everybody. same vibe. He was just like, what is this? Come on, man. This is like, yeah. this is me we're talking about here. This is the Tedster. It's the Tedster. <laughs> what is this? Okay, Tedster. So, Carol DeRanche was the opposite on the witness stand. Um she was nervous. She was broke. She broke down several times during testimony, and she described the events 16 months earlier. She was traumatized. Well, yeah. Like, she's this to was them very more. hard on her. That's why when they say one yeah. of the things about these, these crimes, it's the hardest of the victims because they have to relive. I can't imagine how difficult this must have been for her, especially with Ted sitting right there. And they have to do it in detail. I know. It's nuts. The defense beat her down mercilessly. Of course, that's what they do. She had to repeatedly refute the defense attorney's suggestion that the police had coaxed her into pointing out that Bundy was in the lineup. Like, it was just, just pissed me off. Ultimately, though, the decision was left up to Judge Hansen. There was no jury. 
of this one, this trial. And on Monday, March 1st, he was, uh, they found Bundy guilty, or he found Bundy guilty, of aggravated kidnapping and remanded him to the custody of Salt Lake Sheriff's Department, Salt Lake City Sheriff's Department. On June 1st, Bundy was sentenced to 15 whole years behind bars. So that's a good amount of time. That's right? a, yeah, that's not a little sentence. No, it's not a little sentence. That's a harsh time, especially for a technical first-time offender, you know? Yeah, but it's aggravated kidnapping. Yeah, but in truth, he had gotten off lightly and had only been charged with the least of his misdeeds during this whole... And I think aggravated kidnapping can carry a larger offense. Oh, for sure. That's what I'm saying. He was only charged with sentence. the least yeah. of his misdeeds. However... What Bundy didn't know is that forensic teams were hard at work on his VW bug. You see, Bundy always thought that he was way smarter than everyone, than everyone else, like we've said before, especially the police. Like, police were dummies in his mind. He had taken great care not to leave um, behind evidence, but forensics was able to uncover two hairs in his vehicle. The hairs were sent off to the FBI lab for analysis and determined to belong to Karen Campbell and Melissa Smith. <sighs> that's the deputy that's the chief's deputy daughter. daughter. Yeah. yeah, that's not good, Ted. Additionally, the crowbar found in Bundy's car matched the wounds on Karen Campbell's head perfectly. Well, so they have a weapons match. That's I get that, but at the same time, you can buy 100 crowbars that are all identical. Yeah, I'm sure. But back the, then, the same you know, pattern, the octagonal pattern. Like back then, you you have one piece of evidence that matches, and another. Oh yeah, no, and no. another, no, the, and you put them all together. They group together. Yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah, you can. No, I see what you're saying. Anywhere. They're all the same design, same type. So Bundy would be transferred to the Pitkin County Jail in Aspen, where he was immediately. He immediately fired his attorneys, and he declared that he would be conducting his own defense. Oh, oh, yeah, that's a pattern. Yeah. That would ensure him library privileges and unlimited phone calls, unfortunately. Bundy was eventually sent to reside at Garfield County Jail since no inmate could remain at Pitkin for longer than 30 days. So it was kind of a holding, Well, it's I a think. most county jail. Like yeah. Most- most kind of jails. Jail. A lot of the jails are like 30 days or more you stay yeah. there. Otherwise, you have to be transferred to one of the... To somewhere else. Minimum or maximum security facilities. But this meant that he was now 45 minutes away from the library. Yeah. Yeah. Bundy's hearing was on June 7th, 1977. And for this hearing, he was placed in custody under the watchful eye of Deputy David Westerlin, which... Horribly failed at his job. I'm just going to go yeah, ahead and I'm say that. Work. No, well, not altogether his fault, but come on, Dave. <laughs> he, gave, he gave to do what he thought he was supposed to be doing, and Bundy did what Bundy does. He coaxed him. He charmed him, for sure. Mm-hmm. So hearings began at 9 a.m., and the judge called a recess at 10.30. Bundy did as he normally would, and he went to the courthouse library with Westerlin Station near the courthouse library's door. Bundy wasn't in Westerlin's direct line of sight, which I don't know how is allowed to happen. However, Westerlin wasn't too concerned. I mean, a window was the only way out of the library on the second floor. It was a 25-foot drop to the concrete That's below. That's why he wasn't concerned. Like, yeah, so what are you going to do? Jump closed, out the window? But 
as long as he's in the room, he knows he's in the room. There's yeah. no other access points the other than the window. Which dude's not going to jump 25 feet. No, he's not going to jump out the window. Guess what he did? He, he jumped, jumped out, out the, the window. window. <laughs> That's why I said it's one of my favorite parts because the dude is so brazen. He's just like, you know what? I'm done with this. Oh, yeah. I'm out. He yeeted out of the library. He just yeeted himself out the library. Busted himself up and was like, I told you, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm sure you can guess by now that Ted escaped. At 1040, a woman passing by the courthouse building saw a man hanging from... (laughs) Can you imagine being that woman? She saw a man hanging from the window seal two stories up. Then he dropped to the ground before setting off down the road limping. (laughs) Because you know... You broke, you broke something, Ted, didn't you? You're at the courthouse and you're like, I'm just going to down the street. To, you know, it's this time of age. They're probably going to the drugstore or just, just wandering around town or whatever they're doing. And this dude's hanging out the courtroom window like, hey, don't mind me. Okay, Ted. He just jumps out and runs away and you're like, that's not normal. A suspect, a suspect, oh, excuse me. A suspected serial killer was on the run. Sorry, I had to burp. Just cut that whole thing off. <laughs> A suspected serial killer was on the run. As you can imagine, the media and the police departments were in a frenzy. Roadblocks were set up, tracking dogs called in, but Bundy would manage to elude them all, disappearing into the foothills. Over the next week, Bundy managed to lay low, barely surviving on stolen food from holiday cabins. Remember that, yeah. I didn't know all this, but uh, eventually he snuck into town. He was starving and still injured from his fall. He was nearly freezing to death. (laughs) I mean, it was bad. He was in bad shape. While there, he was spotted and he was taken back into custody. Did you remember that? I don't remember that. Yeah, so he was taken back into custody. So from now on, he he was forced to wear leg irons and cuffs and belly chains at all times other than when he was in the courtroom conducting his defense. Like, otherwise, we're gluing you to the wall, Ted. Yeah, you ain't getting away now, buddy. No. Over the next few months, his hearing was still underway. But once Christmas came, Bundy had another plan to escape. Yet, again, at this time, he's not going to fail. Like, I failed before. I'm not going to do it again. He. He's a smart guy. Well, he's, that's been his thing. Like, that's his thing. I failed once, not going to fail again. So during the Christmas holidays, Ted Bundy was, and this is weird to me, but he was the only inmate in the entire prison facility. I double and triple checked that, and that's super weird. First of all, it's weird because I know he's about to get out, so how does he do it if he's the only dude there? Well, and what did they all go home makes for it easier. Mm-hmm. So all of the other short-term prisoners, they had been sent home to spend Christmas with their families. They were they short. Did, they they did were that. They, no, they were short-term. They were there for minor offenses. You know, I guess they do that so they can give the guards and everybody a break. Prison. I mean, oh, I guess it, it has to be maintain minimal staff. You have like three people there. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> so. All of the other short-term prisoners, they were sent home. Ted had a devised a specific plan of escape he was about to carry out. He had lost a substantial amount of weight on purpose that allowed him to fit and wiggle his way through a 12 by 12 cutout in the ceiling above his cell. Yeah. I mean, 
This is a small window. It's very small. A foot, like only 12 inches. 12 by 12. So yeah. he had to, like, really cut back. Well, he's tall and skinny, so yeah, maybe that's not that much. Like, to be that skinny? Mm-hmm. That is a small opening to fit. He did. He lost a substantial amount of weight. So he cut this hole out himself, and he worked a little at a time. He was determined. I'll give him that. He waited until all was quiet in the prison one night on um, December 30th, and he removed the cover from the hole in the ceiling, and he pushed himself up into the shaft and inched his way along the concrete, eventually dropping into the jailer's empty apartment. So he just got lucky that the jailer's apartment was empty. He didn't know that, and that was later said. Oh, okay. I didn't know it. It was just pure dumb luck, which I hate that he is so lucky. He changed into a jailer's civilian clothes, jeans, and a turtleneck, and he simply walked out of the prison. Well, you only got one prisoner, like. I know. There's minimally all there. You only got one prisoner, dudes in civilian clothes. You're like, clearly that's not the prisoner. By the time the guards discovered his empty cell the next morning, he was already in downtown Chicago. He was taking buses to his final destination, Tallahassee, Florida. Yeah. Senseless neck More so than the rest of them because it's just. It really is. This was his disorganized killings. I feel like. This was just his, his, I need to feel the need. His crescendo, if you will. Well, it's it's his. I mean, it was. It's just filling his urges. That's what this one was. I feel like even if you're not super familiar with Ted Bundy and the details, you probably know about the um, Chi Omega murders. Like, have, well, you have to because that was ultimately what we did. That, to yeah, for. but you know about like everyone who knows about Ted Bundy, they may not know all of what. what no, the part Chi Omega murders about, are like. But you know about the Chi Omega murders. They're part of the, every story ever told anywhere. <laughs> and if you don't know, you're in for a real treat because I'm about to learn you all about it. So is, here we go. Okay. So Ted Bundy had found a place to stay at a rooming house called The Oak, where he he charmed the landlady into only paying $100 for a deposit. Of course. Good thing, since he was running out of money. However, Bundy was not about to seek employment opportunities. No, no he's not looking for a job. No, he's not out. For a short time, he got by stealing TVs and selling them and lifting wallets, but this so-called entity, quote-unquote, was about to rear its ugly head. He had been eyeing the Chi Omega sorority house on um, Florida State University campus since the first day he arrived. He had been noticing the beautiful young woman going in and out of the residence. On the night of January 14th, Bundy is going to give in to all of his urges. Officers were called to the house by a frantic Nita Neary, a resident of the Chi Omega house. A reconstruction of the crime scene later on would determine that the killer had only been in the only been in the residence 15 minutes. All the damage that yeah, that man did. That's nuts. 15 minutes. He just went from room to room. To- I can't clean our bathroom in 15 minutes. That's just insane to me. It's just, it blows my mind. But yet, this was the worst crime scene that the police and paramedics have ever seen. Mm -hmm. 
In those 15 mere minutes, Lisa Levy had been strangled before savagely biting, before he savagely bit her all over her body, almost biting off one of her nipples. He also raped and sodomized her with a can of hairspray. Yeah. Margaret Bowman had suffered the most savage beating of them all. Her skull was cracked open and her brain was exposed. Mm. That bad. Then the killer had pulled a nylon stocking around Margaret's throat, cinching it so tight that he'd cut her flesh. From there, the killer left Margaret and went to the rooms of both Karen Chandler and Kathy Clarner. Both were beaten about the head savagely, but both had miraculously, miraculously survived. Nita Neary, the young woman who had called police, she called 911, I said. Yeah. She stumbled in directly after the attacks, like timed it. Her boyfriend dropped her off. She was walking in, and she even caught a glimpse of Bundy leaving. Oh, my Lord. I know. The survivor's guilt. I saw the dude leaving the building. Fortunately, she was not attacked. I know she felt a deep survivor's guilt. I feel horribly for her, but thank God she showed up when she did because... Made him leave. Yeah. We, we've seen through his history. Yeah. He gets spooked. He gets spooked. He's a pussy. Oh, yeah. That's the best way to put it. <sighs> oh, but Bundy wasn't done because he got spooked and he had to leave. He had to go finish what he started. He did that. So after fleeing the Kai, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. So after fleeing the Kai Omega house, he traveled eight blocks down the road to an old duplex where three young students lived on Dunwoody Street. The residents were Debbie Cicerelli and Nancy Young, living in one room or apartment, and Cheryl Thomas in another. So two girls shared one room, Mm -hmm. and then Cheryl was in the other. At 4 a.m., Debbie woke up to a loud thumping noise from Cheryl's apartment next door. The sounds continued for like 10 minutes and then stopped. So she was afraid, and she woke her roommate up, and she was like, what's going on? We need to call the police. Like, this is not right. Yeah, like, I'm scared to go out. Yeah. When police arrived, they found Cheryl Thomas lying diagonally across her bed in a pool of blood, whimpering in agony, but otherwise unresponsive. Her face was swollen and turning purple from the beating she had undertaken. She had suffered some serious head injuries. Cheryl would be rushed to Tallahassee Memorial Hospital, where doctors spent three hours working to save her life. She survived. That's nuts. I know. For the rest of her life, though, this is so sad. Cheryl would suffer with balance issues and hearing loss, a tough blow to the young woman who was a promising ballerina with dreams of becoming a professional dancer. So, the police presence in the area was vast, right, in Florida, to say the least. Mm -hmm. And there was mention in the media that there were several eyewitnesses. So, you'd think Bundy would kind of get out of Dodge, but no, he's a narcissist, so he knows best. He hung around, snatching purses and stealing cars instead of laying low. But theft just isn't enough for Bundy. It's just not going to work. On the afternoon of Wednesday, February 8th, 1978, 14-year-old Leslie Parmenter, daughter of police chief 
another police chief. Yeah, doctor. that's his ego. He's so brazen. He's like, no, I'm not going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it to the most, you know. Prominent members of society. Not prominent members of society. The most powerful person to stop me. She stood outside her junior high in Jacksonville, Florida, waiting for her brother, Danny, to pick her up. Danny was late this day. So, as a lot of brothers are. So, she decided to wait in the Kmart parking lot across the street so he wouldn't have to make a U-turn like when he went back to pick her up. Sweet girl. Suddenly, a white Dodge van raced. It was raining this day. So, it was pouring down raining. Um, Suddenly, a white Dodge van raced across the lot and screeched a halt right in front of her. A man approached her. Spoiler alert, it's Bundy. And purposefully, <laughs> he approached her, wearing a Navy jacket that said Richard Burton Fire Department. Only, he didn't look like a firefighter. He looked crazed. Like, his eyes were crazy. His hair was crazy. Well, he's not in control anymore. He's, out of, he's yeah. out of control right Yeah, now. he's out of control. He asked Leslie, do you attend school over there? Are you going to Kmart? Leslie smartly didn't respond. Good on her. Yeah. And she kind of sidestepped him, but he stepped in front of her. No. So he was trying to herd her to his van. Of course. I mean, he does. At that moment, her brother Danny came rolling to the parking lot, and he confronted the van, and he chased him away. So she got lucky. Good brother. Yeah. Very good brother. So, Leslie may have escaped Ted Bundy that day, but another little girl wouldn't be so lucky. This one just gets to me. I don't know why this one gets to me so much, but this one just hurts me. They all hurt me, but this one just gets to me. Is that a little kid? Yeah. Oh, that's a lot. Uh, well, 12. That's a little kid. It's a little. It's a baby. It's the same age as all of Kimberly Leach was a seventh grader in Lake City, Florida. She had gone missing um, in the middle school in the middle school parking lot on the day of February 9th, one day after the attempted abduction of Leslie Parmenter. So he's mad. He's just dying. To I'm feel surprised the- he waited a whole day. To yeah, he's be honest, just dying to fill the urge. And he went back to another little girl. You know, it's just so, oh god. Her classmate Lisa Little would go to meet Kimberly at their designated spot to walk to their next class together. But Kim wasn't there. Kim was not a student who skipped class. She was a very shy 12-year-old girl. So once word spread to her parents, the search was on. Unfortunately, Kimberly wasn't found until two months later in April. She had been assaulted and brutally murdered. Then her body was dumped in a little shed behind Sewanee, River National State Park. Again, she was only 12. I'm sorry I didn't go into detail, but I just no, can't we, we with that one. We don't need, we don't need that one. Or the 15 year olds, 13 year olds, 8 year olds, any of that stuff. Moving on from that, Bundy knew his luck wasn't going to last much longer. Plus, by now, he owed his landlord at the Oaks. Remember, he was still living at the Oaks. $100 apartment. a month. Yeah. He owed her uh, $320, so it was time to bail. He's not going to wait. On the evening of February 12th, he spent a few hours wiping down his room along with the white Dodge van that he had lifted, and he, had ban- and he abandoned them both. He didn't need it anymore because he now had another ride. 
he stole an orange VW bug. Which what I just thought was hilarious. He loves his bugs. He loves his bugs, man. <laughs> okay. He filled the VW with his belongings, and he was out on his way. Officer David Lee with the Pensacola Police would spot the orange VW emerging from an alleyway behind a restaurant. It was 1.30 in the morning, and the car looked suspicious, right? So he followed the driver after running the plates, and Officer Lee saw that the car was stolen. So he signaled for Ted to pull over. Ted obviously didn't. Right? <laughs> He's not one to pull over for cops. He's whole like, time. Mm, I'm soups busy. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> come over. Move along. Cut in front. Come over by me. Go ahead, sir. So bad. Ted obviously didn't. And a chase ensued for only about a mile or so before he was like, you know what? This isn't going to work out for me. And he stopped. He knows he can't outrun the police, right? However, he wasn't ready to give up just yet. Officer Lee ordered Ted in front of the vehicle, and he said, lay face down. He tried to cuff Bundy, but Bundy rolled over and kicked Lee's legs out from under him. Bundy and Lee would scuffle for a few minutes before Bundy started running. He's like, I'm gone. Bye. Lee warned him. He was like, stop, or I'm going to shoot. But Bundy's like, no, I'm not going to stop. I'm a narcissist. I don't need to stop. Shoot. Do your worst. Shoot this. So Lee filed his, fired his pistol, and Bundy hit the ground. As Lee approached Bundy, Ted sprung to life. Oh, God, I swear he can't die. <laughs> I mean, he does die, but... Oh, I know. I feel like he can't right now. Ted sprung to life yet again, and the two scuffled before Lee finally gained control. Bundy would tell Lee, as they were en route back to Pensacola... I wish you would have just killed me. I just want to deal with what he done. We he wish want to take he would have killed you too. Yeah, he doesn't want to like take. He does want to take like credit. For he's scared he to die. But he's he doesn't a, want to be caught for everything he did. No, he's a pussy. At the station, Bundy would say his name was Ken Misner. Ken Misner. Okay. You couldn't come up with a better name than that. It's pretty good. It's creative. I'll give him that. I wonder how he came up with that. Like, I just hate him so much. Anyways, he told police that he resided in Tallahassee. However, by morning, word was out that the Florida police had caught America's most wanted serial killer. And he was on America's most wanted. At that point, yeah. Yeah. So, Ted would face two separate murder trials in Florida. One for the murder of Kimberly Leach. And the other, the little girl... Mm -hmm. And the other for the Chi Omega sorority house atrocity. The Chi Omega murders trial came first. And that began on June 25th in 1975 in Miami. The horrors that this man was suspected of, at least 36 murders, were now drawing attention from people across the country. This is probably when your mom heard about yeah, it. When yeah, when she was in college. Yeah, because I, I said in part one that I interviewed his mom about it. Yeah, Because she was in college up north. Whether it's like their capabilities of seeing things yeah, across like, the country. But, and she's like, I didn't hear like, anything about it until this, or until the trials. Or the dude that killed 30 people. Yeah, and like, she was like, wait, what? That's a story. <laughs> That's not like something we can hide. Yeah. Uh, so it was now drawing attention from people across the country. But disgustingly enough, he denied any wrongdoing whatsoever. 
And continued on doing that, even He's though he admitted. He's smarter than everybody. Ugh, Ted. He admitted later Ted. on. Ted. <laughs> but he was smarter than everybody at this point. Teddy. Bundy also sparked controversy when he kept constantly firing and reinstalling his court-appointed lawyers. Because remember, he can afford shit, so he has court-appointed mm-hmm. lawyers. And he's like, you know he's what? I'm him. way smarter than you. You're fired. He's smarter than him, so he's going to fire him and represent himself. He yeah. did that the same thing in, in Colorado. Yeah, he did. The first year, law, <laughs> law school dropout thought he was so much smarter than everyone else. And he could do a much better job at defending himself and avoiding the electric chair. That was his main concern. He did not want the electric chair. Yeah. Karma. So Bundy would become his own counsel. During the trial, he made some pretty big mistakes. He decided to reject a pro-trial, a pre-trial jail, deal. Sorry, pre-trial deal. Say that three times fast. That would see to it that he wouldn't receive the electric chair. He had it in the bag. You had it, Ted. Yeah, but you weren't gonna die. He's too narcissistic, and he thinks he's smart. Everybody, so he's like, if I got that that easily, I can get off of this. He's a narcissist, so he's above all that. He really thought that he could get off scot free. Bundy horrified, horrified the jury when he pressed one of the police officers for graphic details of the Kyomega crime scene. And they allowed it. The judge allowed it. Like, I know the judge was, like, we all, like, applaud the judge in the documentary. But the judge allowed this questioning but for two things. One, I don't know if it was legally not allowed. I, I don't know Florida law back then. It also helped that. eventually. Two, yeah. I was going to say, it eventually swayed the jury to see how disgusting and horrible the acts he created were. Like, he essentially, like, had them detail his own story to him, which feeds his narcissism. Disgusting. But it, the, the jury's like, oh, that's horrible. And then when they're like, no, you did it. And he's like, yeah. And you can see, too, on... Like YouTube, you can YouTube all this, and the jurors' face—they're—they're they're, they're horrified. They're horrified by what happened. There's this one lady I'll never forget her face, and you see her, and she's like, she just wants to crawl into herself <laughs> and mosey on out of there. He's disgusting. The only people in the courtroom unaffected by the graphic details of Bundy's little, his all of his crimes were his groupies. He had literal fangirls. Oh, he did. He had literal fangirls that would sit in the front row, second row, and eventually third row every day of the trial, making sweet eyes at Bundy. Some were interviewed and proclaimed his innocence, and they said that they were in love with him. Like, they were in love with him. Why is that? Like, he was a a rock star. Every serial killer that has this much kind of fame, someone's always, like, there's always women in the crowd. They're like, I love you so much. Even today, when I go on YouTube and, like, look at some of his interviews, you know, I'll see in the comments. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier. I mentioned it to you earlier. One of the comments was, like, rest in peace to the girls. They probably deserve, like, what? They deserved it? Yeah, why would they deserve that? What? (sighs) People are sick, man. Get some better idols, you know? It's just, it blows my mind. So, yeah, he had groupies. Some were interviewed and they proclaimed that they were in love with him. Some would even say they didn't even care if they were if he was guilty or not. They went that far. 
He's so cute and charming. I don't care if he murdered 30 plus people. Can we just expect more from men, please? <laughs> Ladies. I, mean, <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that on my side. That would be very nice. They're in love with a dude and they don't care that he killed 30 people. Have better standards, too. Please. So, in the end, there were two pieces of evidence that would ultimately screw him. First was a testimony of uh, Nita Neary. Remember, she was a girl from the Chi Omega house that saw him leave firsthand, and she called 911. She had encountered him close up and fleeing. She's an absolute badass. She was adamant that Bundy was the man that had encountered that she had encountered that night, and she held her resolve, her resolve during a very tense cross examination by by Bundy. Bundy. So, I mean, a Gonita. The next damaging piece of evidence was a testimony of Dr. Richard, uh, I don't know how to say his last name, Suveron? That was the bite mark guy. Wasn't Su- it? Yeah, the dental specialist, forensic dentist. He stated his opinion that Ted's teeth were indeed the only ones that could have inflicted the bite marks found on the body of Lisa Levy. And that's because everyone's dental profile is different. Very different. So the bite pattern and the bite marks for the teeth right. perfectly aligned to Bundy and the chances of that happening to any other human being were like point zero 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 zero. It was on her buttocks that there was one substantial clear bite mark. And that was what he was able to compare. His dental records too and said this is 100% the impressions. The impressions. Of Ted's teeth. There's like a 99.9% yes. chance that yes. is, this is his teeth. Yep. So on July 23rd, the jury deliberated for almost seven hours. I'm surprised it took them that long, to be honest, before returning to the courtroom with a guilty verdict. One week later, the sentencing trial was held. Bundy's mom would take the stand and plead for her son's life. So Louise, she came in, and you can actually see on YouTube her pleading for her son's life, and she is just the poor lady Kind of feel bad for her. She's absolutely convinced that he is so innocent. (sighs) Of course, ever the narcissist. Bundy, Bundy took the stand in his own (laughs) sentencing trial. Because he's freaking smarter than everybody. Guys, that's almost unheard of. That hardly ever happens. I don't know of a case that's ever happened. Because every trial attorney will tell you, plead the fifth, you don't get up there, you can't incriminate yourself. He vehemently proclaimed his innocence and effectively blamed the media for perpetuating a false narrative. He said, and I quote, it's absurd to ask for mercy for something I did not do. Mm. Really, Ted? <laughs> that, was, that was like, you know, one of my other favorite parts of the story is coming up. However, the jury would recommend electrocution and Judge Cowart affirmed that recommendation. He was like, yeah, you need to fry Ted. Absolutely. So, Ted was going to fry. Couldn't happen to a better person. And that's that's the part you don't have in here because you're, you're focusing on other details. Yeah. Was oh, yeah. One of my absolute favorite parts. With the Zac Efron of movie. The story. I mean, it was in the Zac Efron movie. It was mm-hmm. actually what was the title of it. Shockingly. I can't yeah. remember exactly what it was, but the judge basically told me, he said, hey, Mr. Bundy, you were a pleasure to have in my courtroom. And in any other circumstances, I would have loved to see you practice law in my courtroom. Mm-hmm. But the deeds you have done are so shockingly evil and vile, blah, 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 that I hope 
Or he said something along, I condemn you to death and I hope that you never... He said, take care of yourself, young man, and I truly mean that. Yeah, he did that. He did. He did. He said, take care of yourself, young man, I truly mean that. But the fact that Ted Bundy was so good at faking being a a lawyer in his own childhood. Faking everything. This dude, like this judge, literally said it would be a pleasure to have you in my courtroom practicing law. But he said, I still think that you need the chair. (laughs) You are the most evil (laughs) human being I've ever encountered. Yep. You need to die. Yep, absolutely. That's telling right there. That's how charming he was. That's why I love that part of the story is because it details how... It sums it up. It sums him up because his 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 actions are so evil he deserves to die. But he was so charming and so good at just manipulating people that mm-hmm. even the judge was like, dude, you'd be a bomb-ass lawyer in my courtroom. Oh, he definitely would. But he bro, would have been bomb-ass at anything that he was... He would have been bomb-ass at anything he put his mind to. He really would have. And now, would I have ever married him or wanted to hang out with him? No, don't don't want to be with him. But he would have been if he if that would have been better directed, you know. Oh, hundred percent. Like we said earlier, he focused that into a skill or a job or. God, he could have been. Imagine the politician he would have been if that would have actually if his motives for being a politician in part one we talked about it. Yeah, they weren't about they would have been. Yeah, it was a long con, right? It's a five-year con. Yeah. Jesus. Imagine. Okay, so we're not done with the trials yet. Next would be the trial of Kimberly Leach. And that would come six months after the Chi Omega verdict. It started January 7th, 1980. This time, though, Bundy was a little more defeated. You know, he's already getting the he's chair. He's already getting the death penalty. I'm getting the chair. Execution, which he what do I have more. to lose? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um... He kind of left his fate in the hands of public defenders. What's the word that's going to happen? He's going to get yeah. another death penalty? His defense attorney suggested that Bundy plead not guilty by reason of insanity. But mm-hmm. Bundy refused. No, he's I'm not, not going to do that. No. He's I'm not insane. Everybody. I'm smarter than everybody. I'm better dressed than everybody. I'm more educated than all of you fools. I'm saying I'm insane. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my girl, author Anne Roll, would write a book. A stranger beside me, like we said earlier, that the Ted she knew, she would say in her book, the Ted she knew would rather be electrocuted than be declared insane. He still cared greatly about outside perception. Mm-hmm. So again, Bundy would defend himself. That's a quote by Ann Rule. And she's completely right. And I, I 110% agree right, with her. That's what we just said. Yeah. On February 7th, the jury returned a verdict of guilty. Just two days later, the penalty phase got underway, which coincidentally, this is really weird, coincidentally, the second anniversary, that was the second anniversary of 12-year-old Kimberly Leach's death. So the penalty the phase. Yep. Two years, to, two years to pretty much the day that she was killed, they sentenced him. However, Bundy was going to absolutely demolish this anniversary. Of course he would. See, he had been dating a longtime supporter and groupie of his mm-hmm. named Carol Boone. Mm-hmm. Carol Ann Boone. Bundy had expressed a desire to marry Carol, but the prison warden said, uh, not under my roof. Bundy was like, no one tells me no, right? So not one to take no for an answer. Bundy called on Carol Ann Boone to the stand. Because he was co-counsel, by the way. Oh, yeah, he was I didn't co-counsel. Say that. He was his yeah. own co-counsel. He was still going to represent himself. 
Uh, So he called her to the stand on his sentencing phase, and he began questioning her. The pair caught everyone off guard by exchanging vows, which technically made their union official since it had taken place in the presence of a judge. Fun fact, Carol Ann Boone and Bundy would conceive a child. Did you know that? Mm -mm. A little girl. Didn't she write a book about all this and get famous from it? I don't know. I I don't think so. But they conceived a child, a little girl. He wasn't allowed conjugal visits, by the way. So you wonder how this happened? He wasn't allowed conjugal visits. But Carol paid off a guard that looked the other way while Bundy and Boone would have sex behind vending machines. That was in the movie. Disgusting. Yeah, but that was a true part of the movie. Shortly after, the groom was sentenced to death again by electrocution for the murder of Kimberly Leach. Fry bitch. So if you're keeping track, he was only charged with three murders. Mm Mm-hmm. That's, wow. But. <laughs> I know. He was only in Florida. He can't be charged for murders in Colorado, Utah, Washington. I know. It's just so sad that he didn't. Idaho, everywhere else. Nobody else got justice. Ted Bundy was then transported to Rayford Penitentiary to, did I say that right? Penitentiary? Penitentiary. Penitentiary. <laughs> That's a Rayford tongue prison? twister. Rayford Prison. There you go. <laughs> Rayford Prison. <laughs> to await his execution date. You gotta say it. Rayford Prison. Rayford Prison. <laughs> so, over the next few years, Bundy would file, of course, countless motions. For appeal. For appeal. Yeah. Which ultimately just ended up... De- it did delay his execution date, but he still got it. He's still gonna get it, yeah. So, while waiting on death row, Bundy, of course, did... Countless interviews. He confessed, but like I said, it was always using third person. Always. Yeah, he would have killed us. So it wasn't, we can't say he confessed technically. He always would He confessed by telling a story what he thought happened. Yeah. Whatever saying I. One of my favorite interviews that Ted Bundy did, and you can watch it on YouTube, Mm -hmm. by the way. It's about 45 minutes long. It's with Dr. James Dobson, who is, um, I think you saw him at church one day. He's a religious mm-hmm. leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. He interviewed Bunny. So Pat's seen him in person. I've seen the video you're talking about. Um, he's a, like a, a religious leader. And uh, Bundy actually asked for him to do this interview, which I think was very planned out. Like very planned out. Oh, he's, he's playing on the religious aspect to get the death penalty removed. Yeah. And he blamed his serial killer tendencies on pornography, which is dumb. We remember that. We all remember that that, that was a big push against porn was after him. Yeah, it was a big push against porn. and Because he claimed pornography drove him to become unsatiated. Yeah, and, and the things he did. while I agree that porn isn't, like, you know, great, I, it's, it's kind, it kind of is like, like the Columbine killers when they blamed, like, music. Yeah. You know? Come yeah. on, it's you. It's not. It's yeah, not an outside. For, yeah, come on. This other thing didn't force you to do it. Nothing else to is it. to blame it's but like you. When you and I, this, it's like when you and I were kids, mm-hmm. and NWA was out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they thought any violence by pol- against police and all these other things was because of NWA. My favorite was Grand Theft Auto. 
Oh yeah, Grand Theft Auto. That's causing all violence back in the day. I mean, you did pick up a car and then get out and beat them to death. But. Well, I mean, you did, but you didn't do that in real life. Jesus. No, no, no. <laughs> so another, <laughs> we went way off topic. Way off. Topic. <laughs> another interview that Bundy did was with Agent William Hagmeyer of the FBI, and you're more familiar with this, I'm sure, uh, with uh, the FBI Behavior Science Unit. He told Hagmeyer that the motive for his murders wasn't about lust or violence. Weird, since you just blame porn, but whatever. Uh, but it was more about possession. He said that the victims would become a part of you, and you and them were forever one. Power and control. And yeah, Direct you, quote. They are forever one because you're the last person they saw alive. But you just did an interview. Oh, and Christian, you blamed it on porn. And you blamed it on lust. Literally lust. You know? He's just, he's a walking he's all over. contradiction. <laughs> but he would say, and this is a quote again, the victims become a part of you and you two are forever one. The grounds where you kill and leave them become sacred and you will always be drawn back to them. Mm-hmm. Yuck. Mm-hmm. So... Okay, this is interesting. And we kind of touched on this in part one very briefly. I kind of just skimmed past it and probably not eloquently, but um, Bundy actually helped catch the Green River Killer. Yep, we did talk about that. We did. He briefly. actually helped them as a profiler. So Bundy interviewed with Bob Keppel, who had been one of the investigators in the co-ed murders. By the mid '80s, Keppel was hunting another serial was killer. The Green River Killer, was it the, the the Green River killer and the Strangler. Bob Keppel had a career, dude. I'm telling you, if you lived back in the '70s as an investigator in the California or Washington area, you were you was busy. You know, yes, I, I know. I noticed that between Zodiac you, you and was River. super busy. Ted Bundy, they're all over there. So by the mid-80s, Keppel was hunting another serial killer, the Green River Killer, Gary Ridgway, which, by the way, we will cover it and probably sooner than you think. Just saying. Hint, cool. hint. Okay. Bundy was able to provide fascinating insights into the mind of a serial sex slayer like Gary. Because he is one. Also, spoiler alert, Gary far outdid Ted. Oh, yeah, we know. I'll just say that. Same, but he was a serial sex killer. So, and I also said in my notes, applause to Bob Bob Keppel because I think he had a pretty fulfilling career, to say the least. <laughs> Have to say. Okay, so Bundy's final appeal was denied on January seventeenth, nineteen eighty nine, and Governor Bob Martinez immediately signed his death warrant. Bundy was executed January 24th, 1989. You want to guess where Bundy would have his ashes spread, Patrick? <laughs> I don't even know. You want to guess? No. Taylor Mountain. Mm, yeah, she was over that one. Can you believe it? He wanted to be back with his victims. How was that allowed? If I was his mother, I'm sure his mother was in charge of the ashes or Carol or something. And by by this time, like, Carol was shocked that he was guilty. I'm sure. Because she professed his innocence yeah. all these years. If I was his wife or his mother, or I'd be like, 
I'm not going to do that. No, but he wanted to be back with his... I can honestly say that as a mother. Like, I would not do that. And he wanted to be back with his victims. Because he, he said that place was sacred, so he wanted to be back in the sacred place. If I was one of the victim's family members, I would go out there during the spreading of his ashes with a leaf blower and just... Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? That's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, that's just... Oh, my God. So, <clears throat> after... Um, <laughs> That just blows my mind. Sorry. Can you believe that? Was mm. it even allowed? After Ted's execution, a guard came out and announced there was a huge crowd, as you can imagine, gathered yeah, outside the prison, which baffles me. But um, <laughs> he announced that Ted Bundy was dead, and the crowd roared in delight, chanting, Burn Bundy, burn. Mind you, this was like a festival. When I say huge crowd, this was like a a full-out festival. There was drink sales. There were t-shirt sales. My favorite of all the slogans I wrote down here is Tuesday, because he was executed on a Tuesday. Tuesday is Friday, F-R-Y-D-A-Y. Mm-hmm. Can we not market that? That's but that's exactly that's what hilarious. Happened. People, the you know, great <laughs> American spirit is everybody took up an entrepreneurial opportunity to go make some money off of something i mean i'm not one to jump jump on like a death bandwagon but i'm all for marketing a friday t-shirt that's pretty cool i like that it's creative that's very creative you you can't deny that you're celebrating the death of a monster we're celebrating i'm not big on celebrating i'm like i said i'm against the death penalty but i'm not i mean i'm not sad that he's dead i don't want you to get my words twisted but I'm not. You know me, I'm old. Eye for an eye. So. Oh, yeah. Definitely. He, he deserved to be dead. I'm not sad he's dead. I no, mean, no. you know, it is what it is. So, guys, that is the story of Ted Bundy, one of the most notorious American serial killers. And his final body count was 36. I think we can agree that that's not the more. case. More. With Ann Burr and then the unidentified Idaho victim. I think it was... And then who knows who else? Who knows how many more? Yeah. Could have been two more, could have been a hundred more. Yep. It's just like, uh, what's his face up in Alaska? Oh, frozen ground murders. Yeah, the frozen yeah. ground murders. They, they the had no idea. Butcher Baker. Ten, it could have been 200. Yep. He only confessed to a certain number of them. Absolutely. Same story. Or same outcome. Um, he was thought, investigators said, you know, I don't think he killed 36. I think it's above 40, 50. Mm-hmm. And I have to agree with that. That's what everybody says. Yeah. Well, you guys, I hope I did Ted Bundy justice. I think you did. I, I think, feel like I think you did the story justice, not him justice, but the story. Justice. I feel like I could do this twelve times and still not do it to my. It'll never level up. To, it'll to never. Your no, mind never. Because your mind, he is the, he is the archetype that got you fascinated by he is. the pathology and the criminology behind all this. And if our. Um, God willing, if our podcast career keeps going, I'll probably want to redo this later and be like, hey, we can. <laughs> I have another way to <laughs> present this. But as for now, I told you personally, no, I think. And if, so for now, if I haven't said everything I know, then I'm going to, I can't remember what I said. So. No, you were just saying, if for now, you hope you did justice or you did the story justice and did the best you could on it, which I think you did. An amazing job at telling the story. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
uh, like I said, it's a lot more different than what I've heard in Good. a lot of the stuff I've seen about him. But again, I don't go into the detail you do, but I think a lot of people are going to be intrigued by some of the details you throw into this. Good. Do you feel closer to Ted now? I do not feel closer to Ted. I feel farther from Ted because I despise Ted. Do you know more about Ted than you did coming in? Okay, then my goal is met. (laughs) I still despise him, but I definitely know a lot more. Okay, guys. Well, we will meet you back here next week. Thank you for joining us on our two-part series, Ted Bundy. Two-part series, Ted Bundy. Been requested a bunch. Yes. Uh, Our next one, Courtney's already pretty much got done ready on the Mm -hmm. research side and write-up side she's working on and. uh, Trying to get some in the bag. I, I know that one. So for, y'all that, for those of y'all that don't know, normally on our show, I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Yes. This one and the next one I do know. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one's going to be fun because it's not a person. It's going to be fun. It's like a thing or a very dark time. But it, very yes, dark time in American it history. dark. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's more of a thing than a person. We're going we're gonna to have a history class here next week. And I like it because I'm all about the supernatural and the paranormal stuff, and that kind of ties more to. I will tell you that there is not a lot of supernatural involved next week. I know. But <laughs> Spoiler the lore, alert: the lore behind it. The lore behind <laughs> the lore. It time, yes, so. and everyone knows what we're talking about. I'm sure, but if they haven't, they'll find out next week. <laughs> they will. We love you guys, and be good to each other, and we will see you here next week. Bye. <laughs>